0: What was on the minds of the private equity industry professionals who gathered together at the outset of 2023 on France's Côte d'Azur for the latest IPEM conference? What does this say about the year ahead for the industry? And how are sponsors, advisors and LPs looking to overcome some of the biggest challenges to fundraising and deal-making that they've experienced since the GFC? We'll be discussing all this and more on today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome to this new episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. My name's Harriet Matthews. I'm Funds Editor at Merger Market and Unquote, and I'll be your host for today. Now, it's a couple of weeks on from the eighth edition of the IPEM conference in Cannes, which saw around 3,000 private markets professionals gather together on France's south coast to meet and take the temperature of the market under the conference's theme of reality check. Although we're now firmly back in the concrete and glass of the City of London, many of the points raised by the panels and the people we met there are still fresh in our minds and will no doubt go on to shape the private equity market this year. So to reminisce about the conference and to discuss the key takeaways, I'm pleased to welcome my colleague Min Ho, Senior Private Equity Reporter at Merger Market and Unquote. Min, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for being here again. Thank you. Now, we both attended the last IPEM conference in CAM, which was back in September 2022. What kind of difference in atmosphere did you detect between this one uh, and the previous one?
1: I think the tone, at least in terms of the bullishness uh, for the investment environment, has shifted slightly, perhaps not a huge amount. But uh, I think any shift in sentiment is, uh, in my opinion, uh, noteworthy. So a small half of GPs have told me that they're dialing back on investments this year, say around thirty percent from two thousand twenty-two levels, which may sound surprising. Um, I think given that many GPs have been bullish on the outlook over the past months and years, so GPs in general are cautious about paying too much for deals. Um, in this environment, um and some waiting for adjustments in prices after a strong period of deal-making over the past years. Perhaps a bit more cautious on EBITDA numbers, um, um, particularly around the weight of energy, which will inve- inevitably impact operating margins for some companies, alongside inflation and staffing, etc. And for energy, those with long-term contracts could probably see some consequences this year but generally i think some gps are looking for a different edge um, from the say try and test it uh, typical healthcare tech business services angle um one gp i spoke to um, is looking for hardware tech which is typically more capex heavy than software related businesses and perhaps where they believe they can find value with sticky revenues um, and others are turning to the more unloved businesses and consumer industrials, mm. etc.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, that definitely sort of lines up with what I was hearing from um, kind of advisors and LPs in that um, kind of value investing is definitely somewhere where they want to be allocating and, and thinking about at the moment. Uh, and I guess we have to bear in mind that all of those difficulties in in doing deals essentially and finding a, an appropriate Valuation for you know buyer and seller to make both uh, both happy with the result, uh, kind of taking place against the backdrop of the challenges that sponsors are facing in fundraising and just getting the next round of commitments that they actually need for their next fund. So obviously we've got the denominator effect, which has been talked about a lot, but is really present this year in kind of full full force i think which is making getting commitments um from the larger us lps uh, pension funds etc much much harder they're needing a lot more notice someone you know a few people have been telling me kind of 9 to 12 months notice is what they're needing which is um you know, which is is challenging. You've just got to think very carefully about when you're coming out to fundraise and, and how you're going to do it. And then there's the general, you know, phenomenon of just the liquidity crunch, which is essentially just the sheer number of sponsors that are in the market. They need to fundraise. They need to take advantage of this market to deploy, and if they can, they need the capital reserves there. But it's uh, you know, it's never easy to fundraise. People always say, but it is particularly uh, difficult at the moment. And what else was on the minds of the people that you spoke to at the conference, then?
1: Well, I suppose fundraising was certainly on top of everyone's minds. Um, As we just mentioned, a lot of GPs were deploying very rapidly over the past year or so, and uh, now back on the raising trail. But uh, as you've noted, the fundraising environment is uh, obviously quite a lot different from, say, a year or so. And uh, it seems like some LPs are more cautious, given uh, what uh, we've just said. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, no, definitely, I'd um, I'd agree there. And I think we had a lot of people speaking about portfolio valuations that came up again and again, uh, whether it was in panels or in our conversations, just kind of getting uh, getting a take on it from sponsors and from uh, from limited partners as well. And uh, we'll be seeing more and more of this as results come out, you know, quarterly ones or yearly ones for, for listed sponsors and, uh, and trusts. I think the consensus um, that I got is that sponsors, you know, do not want to put their valuations down unless they have to. That's particularly if they are fundraising, of course. And uh, we've also heard, I think, a few people arguing that private equity itself, in terms of the portfolios that are built, are a bit of a quality filter in terms of the type of companies that they're investing in and their performance. So if they've been performing well, the question is, why should they be putting these valuations down? We had one sponsor say to us, you know, the these privately owned companies they their valuations never rose quite as high as their public listed comparables. Why should they fall as low? and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out when it comes to secondaries pricing. So that was definitely on on the minds of, of people because it is a it's a hot uh, it's a hot topic I think and something people are going to need to address um, going to need to monitor closely just to see how private equity performs essentially in in the current environment. I mean, you know, taking all of this into account, um, we should try and sort of pick some positives out as well. Um, Were there any bright spots, Min, would you say, um, or any indications of when some of these problems we've been uh, mentioning might work themselves out?
1: Yes, I think fundraising from high net worth and sophisticated uh, retail investors have been uh, much talked about. Um, And it seems like it's actually making uh, some inroads. Um, So, for example, we cover BlackRock, uh, which is... uh, Launching two PE products dedicated to retail investors under the uh, LTIF vehicle uh, this year, um, and that's on the back of the one billion that it raised for the first generation of funds targeting PE and infrastructure um, back in two thousand eighteen. Yeah. So, and it's already looking into uh, new products for twenty twenty five. I was speaking to BlackRock, and seems like there's been a lot of demand from uh, private banks um, who are asking. For these products uh, on behalf of their uh, clients. Um, and I also see, for example, that Eurasio raised uh, 3 billion last year for strategies, um, of which 800 million was uh, from retail investors. So there does seem to be uh, bright spots on this front.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, the sort of oft-touted uh- Bright spot within that, I guess, is just how underallocated these ultra high net worth and high net worth individuals and kind of sophisticated retail investors are to private markets. Um, they could put a lot more in, provided that the products are kind of structured appropriately, um, and there are liquidity options there for them if uh, if necessary. Um, yeah, that's that. I think that the kind of alternative capital pool that you've highlighted is is a really important one. I think it overall. Um, it does seem like the kind of general fundraising woes are going to linger for a bit longer. The denominator effect are going to is gonna be, you know, in force for, for quite some time. I've had some people say that the kind of liquidity crunch could keep going until 2024, but that is also a a bright spot. So essentially GPs just need to keep being in front of their LPs, they need to keep them in the loop in terms of what they're what they're doing, giving them uh, a lot of notice. Um, being in front of their LPs just as regularly as as possible, and and communicating with them. And a, a bright spot, kind of in in that, is actually the LPs still really want exposure to certain types of strategies. The ones that come up again and again are impact and actually specialized impact as well, not a kind of broad. Impact fund, but we've got various people who, who've been in the market with very specialized uh, strategies, whether it's, you know, growth funds looking at climate technology, software and hardware, or anything, you know, focused on, on the ocean or a specific point of biodiversity. So that's something LPs definitely want, want exposure to healthcare as well, which is actually quite linked to impact. And there's a fairly small universe of very specialized GPs in that area, um, Archimed and GHO capital to to name just a couple. And another kind of bright spot that uh, one uh, advisory I spoke to mentioned, which I found very interesting, was if LPs are experiencing this kind of liquidity crunch, they've got a, maybe a one-in, one-out policy to, to simplify it in terms of commitments. That's actually something that could favor newer managers. Because if they're looking at portfolio construction, they're not so likely to come in at fund nine of uh, you know an existing manager to kind of Build up their portfolio. Actually, they might be wanting to go for a less established, less kind of oversubscribed manager, and that could mean that they do make room for for new relationships. Um, so there's there's plenty of of things that LPs are wanting to see, plenty of opportunities for people to launch strategies. But it's uh, you know going to take a little while to to even out. And I guess um, that kind of brings us to thinking about the the future and sort of how. How this year will play out say by the time of the next ipem conference which will be in in paris um what do you think will sort of be the the tone then man? i wonder how things might be different um in september when we're you know a few quarters into the year
1: personally a uh, tough call uh, i think the environment will be tougher than where we are right now especially if the stock market takes another leg down and that's possibly one of the more visible indicator of investor sentiment, perhaps not just on the public market uh, investors, but also perhaps more broadly, including, say, private equity. Um, And beyond that, uh, um, it is difficult to measure the effects of uh, quantitative uh, easing, but uh, I wonder what, if any, the end of QE and general hawkishness uh, among central banks could mean for the asset class um, in the years ahead um saying that as many gps probably would have noted um maybe this is, this is this is a good time saying that and as many gps may have noted um maybe this is probably a good time to consider p investments uh with the current set of vintages likely to form strongly perhaps uh, akin to 2019 uh, 2009 vintages um and it's probably a time as well to look into distress funds um I guess we don't need to look further than um the headline uh, newspaper headlines to see that uh, a lot of companies now are going through difficulties um because of uh inflation and um, geopolitics as well what do you think?
0: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I know we spoke about um, that kind of uh, you know value investing or distressed investing um, in our kind of end of year looking ahead to twenty twenty three episodes not too long ago, and that has been borne out already with certain examples as you said in the the start of the start of this year even. Yes, I I think the consensus I've heard from kind of M and A professionals and from GPs who I've asked about this is they are anticipating a bit of an uptick in MA and and opportunities more broadly in the second half of the year, perhaps as kind of buyer and seller valuation expectations shift a little bit more closely. As you say, we're in a very different type of environment, but could be more established what the kind of norms and expectations are by then. Um, as I said, I don't think the fundraising woes will have eased by then. But equally, just looking at the, the start of January, there are some some positive signs we've seen new European Luxembourg vehicles registered by a couple of uh, you know pretty large brand GPs. We've got Carlyle's latest uh, Europe fund with a, a Luxembourg vehicle indicating fundraising there. Um, also got a new vehicle from Triton in the form of Triton Fund Six, uh, which I believe was registered in uh, January this year. And in January alone, we've seen final closes from Oakley Capital raising nearly three billion. Uh, We've seen Waterland Private Equity raising three and a half billion euros for their latest flagship fund. And uh, in the US, but with implications for Europe and European LPs, we've seen Dial Capital Partners announce the final close of their latest GP Stakes focused fund. They raised around $12.9 billion for that, I believe. So some positive signs and we will be sure to keep you informed, uh, whether it's on uh, exit opportunities, uh, businesses coming to market where private equity might uh, you know, might find a, a decent opportunity there or the, the fundraising side, of course, as well. So thank you, Min, for joining me to discuss uh, all of that. It's great to have you on the podcast again.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: And thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you again in the next episode.